episode of the Blackstock Triangle and Arsenal podcast. Today, in the wake of the Crystal Palace match, we've got lineup talk, we've got red card talk, we've got substitution talk, and we've got talk of where we feel our season is headed after these first two games in which we became one of only three teams in the Premier League to have won both. Uh, my name is Sean Brown. I will be your host for today's episode. All right, let's introduce the panel. With me today, we've got Alex. Alex, how are you this evening? I'm good, Sean. How are you? Uh, not too bad. As always, uh, we're recording in vastly different time zones. So I'll say evening. It may be morning. It may be afternoon. Everybody's got everybody's got different uh, times every time we record. Uh, with me also is Nelly. Nelly, how are you doing? I'm all right, Sean. Thanks for having me. Outstanding, outstanding. And... Uh, last and certainly not least, we've got Wassam back. Wassam, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. So we played yesterday. We had a game. Uh, last game of the weekend. Not I. For me personally, that's not my favorite time for us to play. I like us to play on the weekend. I like to watch somebody else's games on Monday, uh, preferably after a win. Uh, so first of all, what do you all? I just put this out there. What do you all think of of the Monday games? Is it fun, the anticipation, or is it more just you stress about it all weekend? Well, for me, it's on at usually two or three in the morning, uh, so not fun for me. That's for sure. <laughs> I am. Um, it's not. I I agree. I prefer to have the early game. The one thing I do like is uh, is in the UK. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's illegal to broadcast live the three o'clock Saturday kickoffs. So it does mean at least I get to watch it live. But I would prefer us to be um, 5.30 Saturday kickoff, definitely, than on playing on a Monday. Yeah, same, same. I like to go into the weekend knowing we won. <laughs> so I can enjoy it more. Yeah, I actually sometimes like those Friday evening games. Those When we win those, it just makes the rest of the viewing weekends so relaxing and you can just revel in the failures of other teams which is at least half of why we do this i think all right let's talk a little bit about the game uh some of the talking points going into the game a lot of our rivals dropped points we'll we'll cover those at the end but uh, manchester united losing chelsea losing uh, Newcastle losing, so we'll talk a little about those at the end. So a lot of pressure to pick up the three points. I think now only three teams have won their first two games, uh, Manchester City, Brighton, and now us. Uh, but let's uh, – what were your takes? Now? And I'll start with you, Nelly, on this one. Uh, the lineup this week, same essentially as last week. Tomiyasu comes in. Uh, what were your thoughts on the lineup? Well, like last week, it's an unusual lineup, wasn't it? I, I mean, last uh, episode when you asked us what uh, we thought our starting lineup would be, that was exactly what I said it was going to be. I don't think our strongest eleven. I don't think we'll play against Liverpool or Man City without starting eleven. But it 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 worked for us. Uh, I would like to see Trossard starting personally, but I'm not surprised that Arteta went with Inketia. Yeah, I think we can get into that discussion first. Then, what is it that Enkedia offers that Arteta wants? In other words, if we're trying to get into the mind of Mikel Arteta and say, okay, why is why start Eddie over Trissard? We know what Trissard can do. We know how good this team has looked uh, when Trissard plays in that position. So, Alex, what is it that you think Eddie 
brings to this team, not that Trussard doesn't, but that that Mikel Arteta likes so much? Um, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think, I think um, he probably has a, a, a slightly higher work rate than Trossard. It covers a bit more distance. Um, his ability to sort of hang off the defender, the defensive line of the opposition. Um, and we saw that, you know, he sort of made that run, got the penalty. You know, I think that's something that he brings to the table, which maybe Trossard doesn't. I think Trossard is a bit more, he has a bit more trickery with his feet. So he's a bit more that kind of caliber. Um, and not so much with Eddie. Eddie's probably a bit more, a bit more of a pace. I don't want to say pace merchant because he's, he's more than that. But he just, he's able to use his pace a bit more effectively. And, um, yeah, just hang off the defensive line and get penalties like he did, like we saw. Right. Well, some ultimately the game that Eddie played tonight, does that justify, and the two games that he's played thus far as a starter, does that justify Arteta's decision to start him in these two games? I think Arteta is experimenting right now. Uh, for the most part, it's, it's given us kind of a some anxiety um, because it is not our strongest 11. Of course, we'd like to see Trussard. He was fabulous in the preseason. Uh, and Kedia, he's a good player. You know, he's explosive. He was actually one of the best players last night. Um, and he did show why he's uh, why he's worthy of being picked. You know, he's strong, like Alex was saying. He's He can just hang on the back uh, of the back four and kind of like push him. And, and that's something that Trussard doesn't have. He's not as strong. Still, I, I do agree with them. I think Trossard should play, uh, given his uh, goal-scoring prowess. Well, I certainly think Trossard gets in as a sub last night if we don't get the red card, and obviously we'll, we'll come on to that. That's going to be a massive talking point. Uh, the other major lineup, maybe well, maybe it was a surprise this week. It was certainly a surprise last week. Uh, Gabriel doesn't start. Uh, second game in a row that, that Big Gabby doesn't start. Uh, fueled prior to the match by some transfer speculation. Maybe he's had his head turned, uh, some Saudi interest as we sort of get to wrap up sort of the Saudi summer as far as transfer season goes. Uh, Also a little bit of speculation that Real Madrid might be interested. Um, What do we see in this? Is this the continuation of what Mikel Arteta called a a tactical decision? Uh, Do we buy into that? Certainly by the end of the, by the end of the night, Fabrizio Romano had come on to Twitter and and basically said that under no circumstances were we selling Gabriel. So, uh, what do we make of two games in a row now that Gabby hasn't started but has come in to anchor the defense toward the end? Uh, and so, uh, I'll start with you on this one, Alex. Uh, if you can just give me your thoughts, what's going on with with Big Gabby? Yeah, look, I, I definitely think it's tactical. Um... I think Arteta probably feels as though he's got a lot of important games this season and he probably thinks, okay, you know, Gabby for the past two seasons has been a rock in our defence. He played every game, but the most minutes actually, I think last season, if I remember correctly. Um, And I just think, yeah, he's probably just holding him back. And as I guess Wassam mentioned, this isn't really our best team. Um, And I think he's just experimenting. He's trying out a few different things. And ultimately, that's led to Gabby being dropped. But I don't think any of that transfer speculation, I think, is all rubbish, to tell you the truth. Unless, you know, a Saudi club comes in and offers, you know, £150 million for him. Uh, 
you know, we're not going to take anything for him because he's under a long-term contract. He, he's happy, at least from my understanding. Arteta's happy with him. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see him leaving. He's too versatile and he's too good. It brings up an interesting question about strongest lineup, and I, th- I wonder, Wissam, if, if this may not necessarily, it, what the question implies is, is there a particular starting eleven that is our quote unquote strongest eleven in all circumstances instead of this necessary maybe being a strongest 11 for this particular circumstance. In other words, we can get into speculation about what is your strongest 11 based on the opponent, based on whether you're home or away, based on form or so on and so forth. I think maybe though, what we may have to sort of discard is the idea that there is a single strongest 11 that is universally the strongest 11 as opposed to a strongest 11 based on the circumstances. Uh, so given it's, it's palace, it's away, it's Monday night of the, you know, the, the nation in the world is watching uh, Nelly, are there any, what would be, if any, the changes that you would have made in this lineup? Not one to criticize Arteta, right? Cause he seems to know what he's doing, but I would have, I said, I think I would have started Trossard personally i understand not playing gabby what you said there about it being the right for this crystal palace like with forest last week best will in the world the teams we've played so far in the premier league are not as good as arsenal if you were to do a combined arsenal and crystal palace 11 even when we're looking at through our through arsenal eyes realistically it's 11 arsenal players against a team like that, we know they're going to sit back. Uh, We know we're going to dominate possession. Um, Until we went down to 10 men, we were completely dominant, really. Palace produced very few chances. Uh, Maybe the only real weakness to Big Gabby's game is he's not as comfortable on the ball as the rest of our defenders, which is what maybe the right way to play teams like this to maximise the chances of winning instead of drawing is to play to that, to dominate the ball, to overload midfield, playing Partey at right back. And uh, for that, maybe Gabby's not the right player. Uh, I I think it's more that. I do imagine when we play Newcastle, when we play Manchester City, Gabby will start. Oh, he's certainly our best sort of purely defensive defender, I think. So there's something warranted to that. To that and and also I think we can start also you mentioned something about Mikel Arteta knowing what he's doing certainly he's earned the right to play around with lineups I think that we would all if we don't we should uh, sort of want to give him that leeway to play around with and experiment with lineups and I think we'll also start with the premise uh, at least I will start with the premise I, I don't want to concede these points if you don't want to concede them but I will also concede the point that maybe Mikel Arteta knows better than than I do about how to line up his team. Uh, but, but, you know, we saw party again at right back. Uh, we saw Declan Rice uh, play in less of a, in a left eight and more of a six, more of a lone six. We saw Ben White uh, play in the middle again and, and actually play more in the middle. I think, I think last week we saw party and Ben White kind of, um, switching those roles a little bit. And then uh, Ben White was doing more of the overlap work while party sort of slotted into 
to that midfield role. And I don't think we saw that as much in this game. Uh, so Alex, how did you see the evolution of sort of uh, Declan Rice's performance and Declan Rice's role and party's role in this team and how you see that going forward? Well, yeah, just on Declan Rice, I think, um, yeah, I mean, that was a good performance from him for sure. You know, he was definitely, uh, you could definitely see, I think he's starting to get a bit more comfortable in what his role is in this Arsenal team and in playing in that number eight position uh, and playing as a, I mean, to be fair, in this in this particular game, he was as that sort of single pivot um, at the base of the, of the midfield. Um, and yeah, he just, he, the, the sort of the way he moved around and, and how much of the of the field he covered, you know, it was just really. I was really impressed. I thought, wow, you know, for 105 billion pounds, we did we did okay, especially when after after Casado's performance. But we'll get into that maybe a bit later. But um, I think, you know, in terms of Partey, yeah, like look, I, I agree with Nelly, and I, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast. I just I think what Arteta is trying to do against teams like Nottingham Forest or Crystal Palace, they're obviously going to set up a low block and he wants that extra midfielder so he can try and break them down because last season we struggled against the low block. You know, we we saw what Newcastle did um, and, we, you know, I think it's just Arteta saying, okay, we have to try and figure out a solution in these in these particular games because otherwise we'll get found out again. And like I did mention, I'm, I'm almost certain I mentioned in the last podcast the first half of last season, we shocked a lot of teams. Teams were not expecting that. That when we when we came out the first 14, 15 games of the season, it, there was a massive shock. What's going on? What's going on at Arsenal? That this is unbelievable. The second half of the season, people started to come around. The other teams started to come around. Okay, fine. This is what we're going to do, and that's why Arteta's probably made this decision to play Partey right back, just so he can overload the midfield in offensive transition, so he can basically get as as many bodies in midfield to try and ultimately break them down and score. Um, however, I think Partey will still have some uh, time in midfield at some point. And I think against, you know, like Nelly said, against your big teams, your Man Cities, etc., um, it could be a bit more of a sort of a, I guess you could say a 4-3-3 or something along those lines. Yeah, and I think we can assume that, that we're going to see a very similar lineup to this against Fulham the following this this coming week. So what the last question I want to ask you lineup wise is we have Manchester United in two weeks. What is your backline look like? And I'll start with Wassam on this one. Wassam, what is your back like backline look like two weeks from now, uh, Manchester United? Um, it's gonna be White, Saliba. I'd put Gabby and Zinchenko, just classic from last year. Absolutely. And then you know, we'd have Partey at the six. What do you do with Declan Rice in that lineup? I would put him in Havertz position. I think he could excel there. You, you saw him last, uh, well, yesterday. He was explosive. Well, he was the only person attacking the spaces. He would actually run in. Um, he had a couple chances that he created with Enkedia. I think he would do well at the number eight. Alex, what does your back line look like against Manchester United in two weeks? You know, I'm, I kind of, I'd probably go, I'd take, I'd, I'd, I'd probably bring in Gabriel back in, to be honest with you. I'd probably go with Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel, and most likely Zinchenko, and put Partey and Rice in midfield in that sort of double pivot. I think that's what I'd probably do. Only because Manchester United are very much a counter-attacking, counter-offensive kind of team. 
I just think we need a bit more extra protection on that. We got found out away at Old Trafford um, against that last season. And for me, I would, yeah, I would just have that bit of extra protection and extra strength in, uh, in our backline and in our sort of base of the midfield. Nelly, I'll pose this one to you. Same question. Backline, Manchester United. And uh, not not to uh, make it a bit boring, but I do agree with Alex and Sam. I think that is that is our mo- our most solid defensive uh, line, and that's what we're going to need against Man United, uh, is, who aren't Crystal Palace, who aren't Northern Forest. They're not going to concede the fact that we're a better team than them. We're going to dominate possession. Uh, we're not going to have more than sixty percent possession. Sixty percent would be really optimistic against Man United. We'd do well to get 55% possession against Man United. So we will need the protection. I think we'll have Saliba and Gabby in the middle. Uh, Zinchenko, if he's fit, and it looks like he is. And then, yeah, probably Ben White at right back. Uh, m- maybe Tommy Ayasu, because his ban will be over at right back. If I'm going to give a different answer to the, to Wasam and Alex, I'm going to have uh, Zinchenko on the left, Tommy Ayasu on the right, and Gabby and Saliba in the middle. Right, and I think that's the, I think the temptation there, if you wanted to go with a purely defensive back line, would actually might be Tomiyasu back at left back, but you're right, that certainly uh, reduces our ability to play through uh, any kind of strong press. I am also of the opinion that we probably go with last year's classic back four, so I cannot wait for Arteta to prove us completely wrong and to I don't know maybe he plays Havertz at left back who knows we it's it's hard to say he's gonna he's gonna throw us a curveball now that he has the ability to sit around and throw curveballs last last season we played with such a predictable starting eleven I just feel like maybe Arteta's just enjoys having the ability to play whatever lineup he kind of wants and I think that maybe well if Timber were still around I think we would that would throw uh, even more of a wrench into our ability to predict uh, lineups. Any other, I'll just put put this out there to everybody, any other lineup things that you wanted to bring up, things that either surprised you or things that you liked or or, or kind of questioned? Well, he did did put Saka at left back. (laughs) I think we were playing six or seven at the back by the end of this one. The only reason I can think that um, part, well, Partly is to dominate the midfield, but I think what Arteta is doing, I think he's doing it very on purpose, because like you said, Sean, last year we were very predictable, is he's deliberately avoiding playing his strongest eleven um, in these early games so that Man United can't spend the next two weeks fastidiously analysing every aspect of our game, getting all the video analysts in and knowing what we're going to be able to do. He's going to play his strongest eleven against Man United and that will be the first time anyone's seen it in the Premier League this season. So there's only so much prep they can do. I also think we peaked a bit too early last season. And I think he might be just trying, you know, the last probably six, seven, eight games of the season, we kind of tailed off. And I'm just wondering, one, yes, I agree with Nelly. And I'm just wondering if maybe he's trying to sort of keep some cards close to his chest so that... Um, one, there are players that, you know, like resting players like Gabriel, as an example, so that, and Zinchenko, obviously, he's got to come back from injury, but, you know, he probably could have played today, started if he probably wanted to. Um, just to have those cards in the back of his, and sort of under, in his sleeve, so you can then, at the end of the season, we can continue to keep pushing in, in the hope to try and win the league. 
Yeah, and I get all of that. The only thing that worries me just a tiny bit is you run the risk of Gabby coming in and starting for the first time four weeks into a season. How much rust is there? How much rhythm is lost because he hasn't been playing regularly with this, you know, in the in the past, at least, you know, for a month or so. Do you run the risk of this backfiring with a back four or a back three or a back however many that ends up not quite being in sync for the first 20, 25 minutes of the United game? Absolutely. That's definitely a risk for sure. Um, I guess, you know, it's the old adage, high risk, high reward. You know, you, if, if we're trying to maybe get an advantage over United, I mean, we beat United last season anyway, but, you know, if, if maybe Arteta's... Look, Arteta's obviously had Gabriel now for, well, ever since he's been at the club. Uh, I'm, I can't remember exactly if, whether he signed Gabriel or Gabriel was there beforehand. I think Gabriel was there beforehand. Um so maybe he has the trust in him that, that he can come in and do the job regardless of whether he starts games or not. You know, Maybe that's where he's at with Gabriel. Maybe that's why he's dropped Gabriel and he said, no, listen, maybe that's why Gabriel has dropped instead of Ben White. Maybe he doesn't think Ben White can do that. I mean, I, 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 look, it, it's hard to really obviously say. Um, but I just, yeah, I, I definitely, I, it's definitely a risk, but I think it's a risk that we kind of, maybe we kind of have to take. Um just as you mentioned, as Nelly mentioned, from a tactical perspective, not giving too much away, much like Pep does, um, or at least he has done in previous seasons, and also to try and keep us at least somewhat fresh until the, until the end of the season, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think, it's a, I think it's a small risk, just because certainly you saw Gabby come in last night. It looked excellent, did a lot of really good things, really anchored the defense and solidified things. Um, I th- so I do think it's a small risk, but... It, it does worry me a little bit, but we have to have something to worry about, right? Uh, let's actually, we're 22 minutes in. We've talked lineup the whole time. May we actually get into some of the uh, pivotal moments of the game? Uh, obviously, a lot of possession again in the first half. Uh, weren't able to get the breakthrough. What were your impressions of the first half just as a whole? We had them on the back foot for a while. We were a little apprehensive about who was going to run in and who was going to try a shot. I wish we would shoot more just to test the keeper. It's always good. You know, just try your luck. Overall, though, I think that was a wonderful performance. I wish we could have been more clinical. I'm not sure why. And Kenya tried to chip the ball over the keeper. You know, sometimes you just got to smash it in. But um, the chances that we created were wonderful. I thought, I thought we did very well the first half. Yeah, we never, we never looked like we were going to concede. It's perfectly simple. If you don't concede a goal, you're not going to lose the game. And if you play as well as Arsenal do against a team like Crystal Palace, it's highly unlikely we won't score any goals. So by dominating the way we did, uh, we put ourselves in a position where clearly Crystal Palace were apprehensive coming into the second half. They, They came out knowing that we had outplayed them, gave away a penalty, to a quick free kick pretty early on in the second half. Uh, I think we laid the groundwork for that very well in the first half. And the only real mistake there was was the uh, slightly odd Nketiah trip. Uh, chip, not trip, sorry. But if he had got it in, if I had sailed in and clipped in off the far post, we'd all be saying he was a genius. We don't miss Gabriel Jesus. So I get why he tried it. Uh, but 
it it did look odd from from where I was sat. I I think he should have shot low, right? Because if he'd shot low, the keeper, even if he'd saved it, he'd have had to push out into the box, and there'd have been a dangerous rebound. Uh, but it's very easy to say that when you're in the moment, you, maybe you got to try things. Yeah, look, I'm kind of I agree with both Nelly and Basam. I think we didn't really look like conceding. Um, we sort of dominated the ball. I guess one of the things that I thought was really good is that when we did go down to 10 men, um, we, although we were on the back foot and all of a sudden the role was kind of reversed, we, we were sort of in you know, this sort of block, this low block, Crystal Palace trying to break us down. Um, I thought we handled the pressure really well. You know, I think in seasons gone by, we probably would have conceded. Um, I just think... Uh, there was a sort of a, a bit more steel. And I have to say, I have to bring it up. You know, when Kivio, Jorginho, and Zinchenko were on the field, um, the way they, they just held onto the ball, there was, I think it was probably about the 90th minute or something. And we had about seven, eight minutes extra time. And they're just there passing it in sort of the top half of, of the field. Whilst when we, we're the ones down to 10 men. You wouldn't have known. It was just, it was so great to watch. You know, they came on and they just sort of calmed everything down. Um, and that's you know that goes back to I guess us having that experience and that extra quality in our in our squad that we can bring on these kind of players, even when we're one player down, well, even when we're down to ten men and still kind of do our own thing. That's what I was hoping for, honestly. Uh, when we only had ten men, I, I think it's I'm of the mind that it's easier to attack with ten men than it is to defend. Just hold possession, and I was that was really nice to see. Virginia was just a boss he was a captain you know like he he was like a military general he's just pointing people where they go making sure distribute distribute the ball well yeah he was unreal and there was a ball that he chipped over like three crystal palace players to zinchenko whilst we're in the whilst we're in like attacking the attacking half and i was like man this guy he just he's like yeah now look it just it was just like perfectly weighted pass right into zinchenko and zinchenko obviously with you know the touch of an angel you know, he's just, it was just unreal. All right. I want to back up before we go forward then. Uh, we're talking a lot about what happened once we were down to 10 men, but let's talk about the incidents that actually put us down to 10 men. Uh, the red card for Tomiyasu. I can't wrap my head around that second yellow. I, I can stretch and pull and do the mental gymnastics to get to the first yellow. I don't think that was really a, a first yellow against Tomiyasu. I think that was more of a, a team yellow that Tomiyasu was happening to hold the ball at the time that the, the ref decided to give it. I think that's a stupid yellow to take in that situation. I think that the team is really going to have to adjust to the fact that maybe that kind of time wasting really is going to be punished. It's a, it's a pointless yellow to give up. It's not Tomiyasu's yellow. Is the, is, if, if there's anything I want to nitpick about that, that's not Tomiyasu's yellow because it's not Tomiyasu's fault. But he's holding the ball when when the ref decides to give the yellow, so fine. We can, we can debate that if we want. The second yellow is an absolute joke. That's not a foul. I, I don't know what the referee is looking at. I'm, I'm guessing he was looking at something that wasn't that something off the ball. Maybe certainly, certainly he doesn't see that well enough. And, and I, that just felt like such a, such a distillation of what is wrong with English refereeing, I guess, or or refereeing in the premier league. Uh, But I want to get your takes on this. Uh, We'll start with you, Nelly. Uh, 
you can talk about really anything red card related if you have something to go previously in any previous season the first yellow wouldn't have been a yellow right but all the teams knew before the season started that there would be a massive clampdown on time wasting that far more yellow cards would be given right you're right it what tommy ayasu didn't do anything wrong to get the yellow card but like a minute beforehand, Ramsdale had been warned for time wasting. Uh, then the ball goes out. Then Havertz holds it for 10, 15 seconds. Uh, the Havertz then decides to have Tommy Ayers who take the throw in is a perfectly normal move in football. Perfectly standard for your tall central midfielder to not take the throw in and let the left back take it. And Tommy Ayers wasn't slow about doing so. He ran up to the ball, took the ball. Uh, he was looking at someone who then got marked, then changed his angle and then threw it. Right, that only took a few seconds. It was a very harsh first yellow card, but we did all know things like that were happening. Arsenal had been warned very recently by the referee, very clearly, that yellow cards were going. The, the second yellow, it wasn't really a foul, let alone a yellow card. One thing I think does need to be made clear change with the refereeing is that second yellows need to be um variable on var right there's not really any point in having this video assistant referee if very bad decisions like that that completely affect the flow of the game right it's not like who's throwing is it <clears throat> um but penalties red cards anything that significantly affects the game which this one definitely did does need to be reviewable um, otherwise, there is no point in having a video assistant referee. If there's only certain game-changing events that are allowed to do, then it will be the ones they're not allowed to do that will be wrong, and it will ruin various games. Uh, the one thing, last thing I will say on this red card is we didn't have one last season, but almost every season I can remember, Arsenal have always had at least one stupid red card a season. Uh, if this is our one, then I'm glad. As long as that's our only one, if it happened against Crystal Palace early, in the game we won anyway, we'll take it. Get out of the way early. Exactly. And get and get it out of the way in a game that we ultimately win. Did you guys ever watch the um, the referee cam from the MLS All-Star game? No, I never checked it out. I've seen clips. If they had that for the, the Premier League, because I want to see what the ref saw, because... But like uh, Nelly was saying, I have no idea how that was a foul. It definitely should be reviewable. Um, even the the soft yellow, or sorry, the throw-in yellow is weird because are you counting the seconds and then adding them on, or are you giving yellow cards for time wasting? It's like two rules for the same problem, which I don't understand. Uh, yeah, so it, it totally changes the game. They definitely need to have it reviewed. I, I wonder, I really wonder what the refs saw because that was egregious. Actually, the whole weekend was egregious with uh, red cards. That's true. There was something like five red cards in the Premier League this over the course of match week two, which does, that's, that's what half the games had a red card. I, I don't think that that's what we want. The other thing that I would mention has to do with a pretty common refereeing uh, controversy, which has to do with consistency. Tomiyasu gets a second yellow uh, for a phantom foul, and yet Jordan Ayu essentially tackles Bukayo Saka also to stop a counterattack, and he was also on a yellow at the time, doesn't get anything. And that was, even, if, even if you concede, 
that Tomiyasu fouls, I don't even remember what player it was at the time, even if you concede that he fouls that player, which I will not concede, but even if I did, it's it's nowhere near the egregious foul that Jordan I really should have seen a second yellow for. And so I think the consistency of refereeing is also a major, major problem. And that's what I think the point of um, VAR is, is to make the refereeing more consistent. I mean, referees can <clears throat> they're just human there's only so fast they can run they don't know what's about to happen in front of them they don't know where the ball's going to go uh, so that they can only see a certain percentage of the game is completely inevitable um, and as a result if you're closer to certain instances than others you're going it's easier to make the correct decision the point of the video assistant referee is it doesn't have limitations like that and on the important decisions the red cards the goals the penalties then the video assistant referee should be making sure that those fall consistently uh, in both ways right i i he should have either made it clear that Tommy Asu shouldn't have received a second yellow, or that Ayu should have received a second yellow. Um, the <clears throat> video assistant referee can't be used for second yellow cards. It takes half the point of a video assistant referee out of the game. It's a ridiculous rule. Yeah, it can't not, make not, refereeing yeah. consistent. Because at the end of the day, if the second yellow card still leads to a red card, then why can't you review it? There's still a red card being given. Right, Alex, you, you always mentioned the dark arts. I wonder if Sokka, if he played that up, would he have gotten Ayu kicked out? Well, see, now, yeah, absolutely. And and that's, yeah, that's a great point. Like, if he had played it up a little bit, or if, you know, if the Arsenal players maybe had gone up to the ref going, hey, listen, you know. But I know that, once again, the refs are trying to stop that from happening. So maybe that's you know, part of the this whole rule change um, where they just didn't risk it. But, you know, I think you would have seen maybe some teams at least last season would have definitely maybe played it up and gone to the ref and said, listen, like, you know, ref, come on, like, put their hands up saying, hey, you know, this is what's going on here. He's on a second yellow. He should be getting another yellow card for that, you know. But, yeah, I guess these rule changes have maybe changed some of the mentality, especially of, of for us and for our players because we usually get the – well, I don't want to say we always get the rough end of the stick, but it does always feel like that. It it definitely feels like that to, to the extent that I think maybe we all have some sort of persecution syndrome. But – Nevertheless, we did get one uh, controversial call that definitely went in our favor. That was the non-penalty call against a party in the box. Uh, I did. I looked at that over and over again. I could not see a reason to call that a penalty. I, I just, I, I couldn't see where there was any contact that was actually initiated by party as, as a, as a part of his challenge. I saw him trying to pull his leg back and I saw, you know, the attacker again, I forget who the attacker was at the time, just sort of leave a foot in there trying to look for that contact to fall over. Does anybody, I mean, it's an Arsenal podcast, so I don't necessarily expect us to be objective, but did any of you look at that and say, yeah, that's probably a penalty. I didn't look at it thinking it was a penalty, but I was at the time absolutely certain they were going to give it because uh, of my uh, Arsenal persecution syndrome. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I, I mean, if if Tomayasu's was a foul, the one that got my second yellow card, if that was a foul, then Partey's challenge in the box was also a foul. But so, but also then there'd be ninety five fouls a game and eight penalties. I was going to say if, if if either of those are fouls, then I can probably foul all three of you from here. Yeah, I'll be rolling. I'll be rolling around on the floor. Uh, anything else on the on the the party non call? 
Yeah, look, I don't think it's a penalty. For me, it's not a penalty. Um, he, like Nelly said, you know, he's moving his leg away. Yeah, I, I, it would have been soft. It would have been soft, and I think it would have been unjust if that had been given. So it was nice to see sort of that go our way, especially, um, you know, after the sending off that I feel is totally unjust. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't have given that. And I don't think, I don't think, somewhat at least, some Crystal Palace fans might have thought, nah, it's probably not a penalty. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a rough performance overall by the officials, but they seem to have gotten that one right. And that is a big call in that moment. So I guess we have to give them their due in that they put us in that situation and then didn't make it worse. So they, I don't know, a good call to, cause palace probably never gets in that position if we're not down to 10. So uh, let's talk a little bit about post red card subs uh, before we move on to sort of, what this game means and and how we feel about it and how we feel about the season thus far. So Tomiyasu gets sent off in the 67th minute. Uh, the first sub, Arteta's first sub, uh, Big Gabby comes on for Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, at the, in uh, the 79th minute, Jorginho comes on for Enkedia. Uh, and then in the 89th minute, Zinchenko for Saka and Kivior for Odegaard. So that's three recognized defenders and what we might think of as a primarily sort of defensive or, or ball-playing midfielder. What did we think of the subs? How many defenders did we have on the pitch by the end of the match? Uh, and at the time, on social media, I saw a lot of people really get stuck into Mikel Arteta a little bit for the defensive nature of these subs, for having, what is it, like eight recognized defenders on the pitch at once, and that maybe we should have been pushing forward. Uh, but at least a couple of these subs did help us control the ball. And if you think about uh, the nature of the subs, so it's like, you know, Kivior and Zinchenko, for example, who are nominally defenders, but also excellent ball players and, and controllers. So I just want to get your sense of uh, what you thought of the subs and in the in sort of in the cold light of day, as opposed to what you were thinking at that exact moment. So with Sam, I'll go to you with this first. Um, what what did you think of the subs as they happened, and have has your thought process changed on that at all in the I don't know however many hours uh, after the game? Well, yeah, it was uh, it was nerve wracking. You know, I was calling for a sub early, and so I'm glad Gabriel came on. But I would have taken out Martinelli. I feel like we always have to keep uh, Odegaard and one really fast attacker, whether it's soccer or Martinelli, because just one pass and then the game's deflated and we won. You know. That's all it takes to just ruin their attack. So to keep in Havertz rather than uh, Martinelli, I just didn't understand that. I know he's big and he can do the hold-up play and try to get his possession, but what it turned out to be is that we're just kicking it across the midfield to nobody and they're just recycling the ball. If we had Martinelli up there, he could have just burned them, you know, just scored that goal, and then we could have just rested comfortably afterwards. Um, that said, uh, yeah, I would have... Uh, when, it, when it came to um, putting in Zinchenko and definitely Jorginho, I understand that at that point, we're just going to park the bus and that's fine. So by then, I under we, we just completely just decided not to attack. So at that point, yeah, put in put in the, another goalkeeper if you want to at that point, you know, like it, I totally understand it. Well, didn't we sign David Raya because he's essentially a midfielder who plays in, in goal? Maybe we could have snuck him on. 
Uh, Nelly or Alex, uh, your thoughts on the subs and whether you changed your mind on the nature of the subs between when it was happening and now. I mean, I am, I slightly disagree with Sam. I think like when you're down to 10 and you're winning and you're away and you're wounded psychologically because it was an unfair red, right? Which shouldn't make a difference, but it does. Uh, you need to knock, you're in a simple position of if we don't concede a goal, we will definitely win the game. Uh, so bringing on, maybe Martinelli wasn't the right player to take off. I think I'd have taken Nketiah off. But, and you could see Martinelli was not happy to go off. He was not happy he was the one who sacrificed. He probably thought he'd been playing well enough. And Martinelli's very good defensively. I know he's a primarily an attacking player, but he makes a lot of tackles and he tracks back. So I think I would prefer to see Martinelli move to striker and um, take an Nketiah off um, for Big Gabby. And the other thing I changed, I think bringing Zinchenko on that late was kind of pointless. Right, bringing on Kivior at that point kind of makes sense to me, but I would have brought Zinchenko on at probably the same time as um, Gabriel uh, because he adds a defensive stability and he's a very good ball playing player. So it's not just that we're sat back and can't defend play forwards at all, uh, but he adds a certain defensive stability because um, you needed. Also, we playing without effectively without a recognised left back. We're playing Saka at left back um, with Zinchenko on the bench. So I would have brought uh, Zinchenko on much earlier so that we could have a recognised left-back. That's why I've changed. I don't mind the defensive nature of it. In in general, playing too defensively, I dislike. But with 20 minutes to go, playing away from home, when you're 1-0 up and down to 10 men, it does make sense to be negative in your um, in your substitutions. You have to earn the right to play negatively. And, and we'd already done that. Yeah, look, I, mean, I agree with Nelly. I think... I think- Nketiah probably should have come off for Gabriel um, for the exact same reasons that Nelly mentioned. I just think, you know, he's got that burst of pace. He's able to hold up the ball. Um, and then, yeah, look, bringing on Jorginho and Zinchenko. I think Jorginho came on obviously a bit earlier um, for Nketiah. And I think that was getting to the point where I told it was like, okay, we've got 10 minutes to go of, of normal time. Let's try and get, just get a little bit more control. I think... From the moment Tomiyasu got sent off up until the point where Jorginho came on, we were sort of really deep. And I think maybe Arteta saw that and thought, okay, we need just someone to come on, marshal the troops a little bit, and just say, okay, look, we're going to control the ball a bit better and let's not just completely go into our show and just allow the pressure onto us. And then obviously, yeah, getting into like the 89th, 90th minute, bring on Zinchenko and Kivior, then I think that was the point where it was like, okay, look, you know, it's it's we could just try and see it out now. You know, so in like now, like, as you mentioned, Sean, like looking at it back now, at the time I was like, oh, I'm not sure about some of these subs, especially the Gabriel Martin only one. But I, I guess now I'm kind of okay with it, um, and especially Jorginho Zinchenko and Kio coming on because I did think they gave us a bit more control. Well, yeah, and I think that's the ironic part, right? We end up putting on all of these defenders. And it doesn't turn out to really be that negative of a tactic because we do end up controlling the ball more. You're right. You're all right. From from the moment Tomiyasu was sent off until probably that 79th, 80th minute or so, we were really defending deep. And what happens, Arteta puts on, again, nominally defenders, but really very, very good ball playing defender slash midfielder types. 
and we get possession. And really the last 10 minutes in stoppage time were far less stressful than the 15 minutes or so immediately after the red. And ultimately you sort of say, and I think that some of the sort of the initial reaction was, Oh, this is negative. This is negative, but it didn't really work out that way in terms of we didn't retreat back into a shell. We were more in a defensive shell before those substitutions were made than we were after. And I think that that emphasizes the character of what Arteta is trying to build here is versatile players who are good on the ball. And in this case, who can also defend. So if you have defenders who are also good ball players, you know, just ballers in general, right? You can make these subs in this situation and it doesn't end up being, you don't end up playing more negatively because of it. Instead, you actually grab more control of the game. And we spent a lot more time in the palace end as a result of those substitutions. Ultimately, we get the victory. It's probably not as close as the score indicates. We did create a little bit more, created a, a substantial amount more uh, than palace, even when you take the red card into effect. So I want to just get your sense now before we go. Uh, we're going to wrap up here pretty soon, but just want to get your sense of these first two games, where it leaves us uh, going on into the season. I know that we haven't necessarily played the fluid, attacking, flowing, beautiful football that we might have wanted or expected, but we are one of only three teams who have won their first two games. So Nelly, I'll start with you on this one. Where does this leave you in terms of how you feel about the start of the season and where this puts us going into, well, after the Fulham game, at least a, a bit of a meatier part of the schedule. I think we're, we're looking all right. It's not gone the way I was expecting it to. Arteta hasn't made the decisions I, I would have made, but we've conceded one goal. Uh, we have not been behind. We've won every, we've won both our matches. Uh, lots of teams, like you said, have slipped up. There's been lots of draws, lots of losses. Uh, only Brighton and Man City have also won both their games. So, we, realistically, we're not we're doing as well as we could do. Um, I'm hoping that what Arteta is going to do is that he is. We are going to see the beautiful free flowing football that we all love uh, against Man United in two weeks. Man United current have had a very poor start to this season. Right, Man United lost to Tottenham. Right, how much worse can you be if you lose to Tottenham? So heaven forbid. Yeah. So uh, I really don't see us struggling. I imagine we won't. We'll see a similar lineup, I think, and a similar game against Fulham, and then we'll see more things. I I imagine we'll be seeing a more standard backline, a more the kind of closer to the eleven we had last time, uh, but with. Rice, probably, but probably with Rice starting from last season uh, against Man United, and if it's all we've all got, to, if we can have not dropped any points by the time we play City, which is in five or six games a week's time, I believe uh, it's in October, and there's an international break in between. Uh, if we haven't dropped points going into that City game, uh, especially if City have dropped points along the road somewhere. We'll have the psychological advantage. We'll be top of the league already, and I think that's where we've got to. That's what we've got to be aiming for. We've got to get every single point between now and the Man City game to be top of the league, going into that and have that psychological advantage. 
Yeah, look, for me, um, so far so good, I guess. We are, you know, like Nelly mentioned, it's kind of not what I, what I would have done, what Arteta's been doing. <laughs> um, however, it's working uh, just. And I think if we can just keep racking up the points, three points, three points, three points against Fulham, three points against Man United, you know, all of a sudden we're sort of in the same position as what we were at the beginning of last season. I think we won our first five games. Um, so we're, we get, if we get close to that, um, considering that the start probably hasn't been as all guns blazing as what it was last season, I think that's that's pretty good because that tells me that, okay, we're not performing at our best, but yet we're still able to rack up the points. And ultimately, that's what championship teams are made of. Despite Arteta's tactics that are giving us, well, at least me, a heart attack, it's really good to see the players dig in and actually motivate themselves and really fight. I know this one was a grind, and just to watch them grind it out, um, it, it definitely gave me a lot of hope for the future. I think there are tons of reasons for optimism, and ultimately what we want to do is solve the problems of the last two seasons where we sort of faded late. And if this is the price for doing that, then I certainly think that it's worth it. Um, just real quick before we go, uh, any thoughts on things that happened in the league as a whole this week? Uh, the City game over Newcastle, I kind of was kind of hoping for a better game. I thought Newcastle looked a little bit limp there, but that probably has a lot to do with what City was doing to them. They are as scary as ever, I think. Uh, Spurs over United 2-0. Uh, we can, if anybody wants to just sort of laugh at Manchester United, they seem to be having a pretty tough start to the season. And Chelsea, uh, who seem to be firmly embedded in their own banter era, uh, lose 3-1 to West Ham. So uh, anybody want to talk about any of our immediate rivals or anything else from the week that... 10-man West Ham, by the way. Uh, Yes, thank you for that. (laughs) That's the the cherry on that particular Sunday. Well, if we're only talking about our immediate rivals, I can't talk about Chelsea because they're in the (laughs) table team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, Man United, uh, Man United are not looking good so far this season. There was the uh, quote from Roy Keane. Let me get up here, which was, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I saw this. <laughs> They're the new Spurs." Yeah, uh, yeah. Man, U- Man United are the new Spurs. There's no bigger insult I can give to those players. Uh, so <clears throat> I-, I like that one. Uh, That's such a gift to us. Yeah. Oh. Uh, from uh, from a person who, when he was playing, I used to absolutely hate Roy Keane, but it was mainly because he was good and he used to beat Arsenal. Um, <clears throat> but I do. Man United are not looking the threat they were. Um, one game I will quickly mention: Aston Villa against Everton. Aston Villa looked really good, and having been absolutely hammered by Newcastle. Um, I think that does portray that Newcastle and City are both playing well. I know that Newcastle lost to Manchester City, but. And it doesn't quite work, that transitive property of beating teams in football. It's more complicated than that. But Aston Villa looked really good against Everton, and they got hammered by Newcastle. So Newcastle and Man City are both going to be threats this season. Yeah, I, I think Newcastle is, is is sort of flew under the radar. Not not too many huge signings, but Tenali certainly looks good in that team. Um, like I said, they didn't look particularly good and threatening against City, but I think City are going to do that to a lot of teams. I think they're going to do that to a lot of top teams as well. Anything else, uh, Alex or Wissam, stand out from you for the weekend? Yeah, Brighton. Brighton's the one. They're, um, Robert Deserby, man. That guy is just... You know, I remember when Pep said that they're probably the best passing team in Europe. 
and you kind of thought, oh, come on, don't, don't be ridiculous kind of thing. But yeah, like they're definitely up there for sure. Like they're unreal, Brighton, how they play. And it's funny, they've lost, you know, McAllister, Caicedo, and then obviously we bought Ben White off them, Kukurao, Robert Trissard. Sanchez, who was their third choice goal. Yep, yeah, I mean, they've lost a lot of players, but they just keep finding these gems and they just keep, you know, was it 400 million pounds that they've sold? The amount of money they made from selling players. I mean, it's just, it's such, they're, they're just an unreal team. They run really well. Um, and yeah, definitely we're going to have to look out for them. I mean, they obviously beat us at the Emirates last season. We obviously beat them at the Amex, but um, yeah, they're definitely another team that we've got to look out for as well, I think. What's fascinating about that is we seem to have gotten the best deals off of Brighton so far. Kukurea certainly hasn't, you know, lit anything up. But Chelsea, uh, Caicedo had an absolutely disastrous debut debut against uh, West Ham over the weekend. And yet the players that we bought from Brighton, Ben White uh, and Trossard, have been absolutely outstanding. So apparently we are the only team that can can scout uh, which players to take from Brighton. That's my takeaway from this. Yeah, you seem to be right. You seem to be right, Sean. Particularly, uh, I mean, Trossard's not had that many games for Arsenal, but he's looked good when he has. Ben White's looked fantastic, and uh, you could have gotten nearly three Ben Whites for one Caicedo. I was going to say he looks like a bargain now, Ben White. Really, like back back when we bought him, people thought fifty million pounds for this guy. Like, what on earth are we doing? But I think now we're looking at that, saying that was that's it. An unbelievable deal, considering you know some of the price tags now. Oh, it's unreal, and and I was one of those with like fifty million. I've barely heard of this guy. Like, what? I, I was. I have to admit, being one of those, like, what are we doing? <laughs> and yet, that one has worked out extremely well. You're right, Nelly. We haven't seen as much of Trossard to be definitive on that conclusion, but yeah, I've I've already made up my mind about him. He's wasn't. He was an absolute steal as well. Uh, Kukurea been kind of kind of a bust, um, and I'm sure Caicedo is going to be better for Chelsea than he was. But if you can't laugh at your rivals when you have a chance to, then you're not going to end up laughing at all. All right, let's go ahead and leave it there. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter at Blackstock Pod. Uh, please like, rate, subscribe, give us a five star review. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming. Uh, have a good rest of your evening. I will do. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you so much. Also, Nelly, you have a good rest of your afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Wassam, you are like me. It's still fairly early in the morning, but you go on and have an excellent rest of your day as well. Thank you. That's like the Sound of Music song, you know? Like, <laughs> we'll work. You know what? We will workshop a, a, a closing song, but I will not sing on it. Uh, my name is Sean Brown. Again, you can find us at, at Blackstock Pod on Twitter. Look for us. Uh, look for us on other social media platforms as we get going. Thanks a lot, guys. Peace.